December 4, 1972, the day the Australian government ended its highly controversial national service scheme, which saw more than 60,000 21-year-olds conscripted for active duty from 1964 to 1972. Affectionately known as Nashos, they had to serve for up to two years under the threat of imprisonment. Many lost their jobs, careers and relationships and had to rebuild their lives without reparation. And when finally they were told they could go home, they were abused, ostracised and expected to get on with life as if nothing happened. And 50 years on, they're still struggling, still grappling with the consequences of conscription while being cut off from military entitlements and compensation. And it's now hit breaking point for one group of Nashos. When we got out, our lives were basically ruined. The youngest will be just turning 71 and the oldest 79. We're dropping off the perch at the rate of three a day. Most of us have some sort of ailment and a lot of those ailments go back to our army days. They call themselves Nasho Fair Go, a voice for the men Australia forgot. And this series is all about telling their stories and following their path to reparation. Episode 1, Don't Call Me Nachos. So the 50th anniversary of the Nachos Parade has come to stand fast. It's Saturday, the 10th of December, 2022. A very special meeting is taking place. 160 National Servicemen are visiting the Shrine of Remembrance in Melbourne for a special service marking 50 years since conscription was ended in Australia. Welcome Jeff Parks, President of Nasho Fair Go, the largest association representing 1965-1972 national servicemen who did not serve in Vietnam. Would you please welcome Jeff Parks. Tuesday 7 December 1972 is widely recognised as the day the new Whitlam government abolished national service. While the actual date was in mid-1973, this was the date when still serving national servicemen were told they could pack up and go home if they wished to. It was a date that brought to the end of a very divisive and fraught era in Australian history. Conscription and Australia's involvement in the Vietnam War divided this country like few issues ever have done before or after. It caused some of the greatest civilian protests Australia has ever seen. The National Service Scheme of 1964-72 was implemented by the Menzies government. Birth dates for two intakes per year were drawn using marbles. To fail to register or to refuse to present for service carried a potential two-year jail sentence. The men who took this option were known as conscientious objectors or conchies. They were treated with contempt and loathing by a large section of the community. I think most of us now realise that they were men of great principle and courage. Between 1965 and 1972, 63,375 young men were conscripted to serve in the Australian Defence Forces, primarily the Army. This was just 7% of the 864,000 men who turned 20 in those years. Anyone who was not called up was able to get on with their life and live it just as if nothing had ever happened. 15,100 of those called up would serve in Vietnam, while the remaining 48,275 would serve their two years in Australia, Malaysia and Papua New Guinea. 645 would die during their service, 210 in Vietnam and 435 elsewhere. 
Today we remember these young whose lives were taken in their very prime. We reflect on the futility of the Vietnam War and Australians' involvement in it. We must also remember the 22,000 of our cohort who have passed in the years since we were discharged. Today we'll also stir memories of our conscription. Registering for the draft, our birth dates being called out over the radio, medical examinations, and the day we entered the army. There we were, all shapes and sizes, mostly long-haired and unfit. Very few of us ready for our first taste of the military, which would be our life for a considerable time ahead. Eventually, we would finish our time and go home. Next came what would be, for many, the biggest hurdle of their whole conscription experience. Some men would be living with the physical and mental scars received during their service. Some just found it very hard to settle back into civilian life, a life that had moved on without them. Some found their relationships with family and friends had been altered. Some careers were set back or ruined. Some people could just not hack life on the outside. Not many people wanted to hear about our problems. Australia was so over Vietnam at that stage. So here we are today. We give thanks that we are able to join together to mark this occasion. Men, as you go on your way, always remember, when your country called, you answered. You did your job. Be proud. Be proud of who you are and what you did. Well done, those men. Thank you. Powerful stuff. And this was a defining moment for several reasons. To start with, Nasho Fago had never run a commemorative service before, so it was a big deal in that respect. It was also the first time that many of these men had joined ranks since leaving the army, which is crazy to think about when you look at all of the Anzac Days and Remembrance Days we have, but these occasions, well, they're full of mixed emotions, and some Nashos choose not to march given how poorly they were treated when they left the army. And even though times have changed... Jeff's had to work really hard to instill a sense of confidence and pride in what they did. So to see this 50th anniversary commemoration come together meant the world to him. And here's what he told me a couple of days after the service. G'day, Aiden. G'day, Jeff. How are you? I'm going really well. I've just gone up to the post office and I've found a registered mail there for me and... It's a medal from my it's Australian service medal from my time in New Guinea. No. Didn't turn up for, in time for the march on Saturday, but it turned up the day after. It's only been 10 months in waiting, but it turned up. You always sound quite happy, but I just get a sense that you're feeling relieved in a way. Oh, Saturday was such a good day. Unbelievable. Yeah. What can you say? And I think we had about 160, 170 marches. And they loved it, the old guys. They just thought it was fantastic to be back in the ranks again. Did you ever think a time like that would come when you're standing up there on Saturday in front of the lectern delivering your speech? I had a dream, but uh, it was a dream. And this all came together. So the dream became a reality in February 2022. And ever since then, they've gone from strength to strength. We formed an association with five members, believe it or not. And now we're 2,600 members. We're hoping towards 5,000 members in the next 12 months. But uh, yeah, for just over 12 months in existence, it's been a pretty exciting run. At the core of what they do is their slogan, which is to be a voice for the men Australia forgot. Well, that was just basically our little group. We just said, what are we? Until we started this group, I could say I was a Nasho, and most young people today wouldn't even know what a Nasho was. In fact, most people think it's a Nacho. <laughs> Nachos. 
<laughs> as in the food, nachos. Nacho, yeah, there you go. Oh, Jeff. So just to clarify, it's nacho, not nachos. <laughs> Definitely not nachos, no. Uh, yeah, we are known as nachos, and um, like I say, a lot of people wouldn't today never heard the expression. We quite often have to explain what a nacho was, but we were the 1965-72 National Servicemen, and we basically have to explain that quite often. And I've got to say, I mean, Jeff has a point here. How much on the whole do we know about our National Servicemen? As he puts it, they are the stories of the Vietnam War era that you simply don't hear about. So I was really keen to get a sense of how much awareness is out there. So I went out into the streets of Brisbane, and here's what some of you had to say. Do you know about conscription? Um, I know it's about army servicemen. Yeah, I know back in the day, I think in the early, when we started going World War I, there was a lot of conscription, but that's obviously not the case anymore. Did you know that that extended right through the 1960s and 70s? No, I didn't. Yeah, that's really surprising. Uh, generally speaking, it's not spoken much here in Australia, to be honest. I know about conscription in, like, South Korea, and no, no we don't have... Conscription in Australia, do we? Do you know much about the Nashers of 1964 to 1972? No. Uh, Vietnam, potentially? Yeah, okay, sorry. <laughs> I actually got people in my family who were caught up in that, but not from a military perspective. When I was growing up, there was a lot of demonstrations on the streets about Vietnam and what, what did that mean? And it was all about national service. You know, young men being forced to uh, sign up. What would you think today if you found out that there were still those men who were conscripted for two years of their lives during that 1964 to 72 period? Not all of them fought. They lost their incomes, their jobs, social circles broke up, and they're still struggling for help today. Yeah, it's dreadful. And also is um, you're putting people into massively stressful situations and they're not prepared for. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me, actually. My husband's in the army and even now, I would say, a lot of people are struggling to get help for any sort of health issues or mental health issues. And I think there's a long way to go. And I can imagine back then it wasn't very good either. So, yeah, this, it's not a surprise to me, but it is very sad, yeah. Um, I know of one story of a guy who was uh, a driver. That was his job, was to drive a truck. That was, his, that was his title, but he drove into really bad areas, things went wrong, and he's come back, he's definitely a damaged person, so he's never been recovered from that. So, What would you think if you had a granddad who served during that time was forced to give up two years of his life through no choice of his own, and he's been struggling to get the help he needs today? Be pretty mad about that. Seems quite morally wrong. Yeah. It's a fair point, isn't it? You lose two years of your life through no fault or choice of your own, your job, your social circles, and then you come back, you've got to start again. That's not the Australia that we know. We pride ourselves on looking after our veterans and our service men and women. But this was a time when that didn't happen in line with our standards today. They were left alone to rebuild their lives without any reparation. And that's why Jeff started Nasho Fair Go. We incorporated on February 22 last year. I sort of was hoping and thought that someone would come out of the woodwork and say, okay, uh, these guys lost a fair chunk of their youth to national service. Some of them had good times, some of them had bad times in the army, and a lot of them had bad times and they got out of the army. But, yeah, they deserved something. There's a lot of them had their lives ruined. And after a while, they just said, 
Hang on, it's time we've got to get moving. We're going to finish up dying very soon. A lot of us are, unfortunately. We're dropping off at the rate of about three a day and then we'll pass. We'll have nothing to show for it, nothing to pass on to our kids and uh, grandkids. So why this group of Nashos? When Jeff's out in the public talking to people, one of the questions he gets all the time is that someone's dad, granddad or uncle did national service and they had a great time, that it was like taking a holiday. So why should the Nashos of 64 to 72 get preferential treatment? And it's a fair question, but it all comes down to the different phases of conscription that we've had over the years, of which we've had four, dating back to 1909. And often what Jeff finds is that people mistake the 6472 Nashos for those who were conscripted between 1951 and 1959. And they were conscripted under entirely different circumstances, so it was like chalk and cheese. And generally speaking, they had a much better time in the army than those later Nashos, so the guys of 64 to 72. And what this has done, according to Jeff, is that it's sanitised the broader public image of national service, painting it out to be a really good thing for people back in the day. And this really gets under Jeff's skin. Here's why. Between 1951 and 1959, every 18-year-old kid, unless he was physically disabled, did three months national service. It was basic training. They wanted to train the militia and they did a terrific job. But after three months, they all went home. The 65, the 72 Nashos, totally different. We've got nothing in common with these other guys except that we did military service and we were conscripted. And you'll hear people say on the radio, oh, I had a great time. I don't know what these people are complaining about. Well, of course you had a great time, mate, because you went in, you, you spent three months in basic training, you went home, went on with your lives. Some of our guys came from Perth and finished up spending 15 months in Malaysia, not getting home. They're a totally different kettle of fish. But then you look at the Nashos of 64 to 72 who were conscripted for two years as part of an active force, which was spread across areas including South Vietnam, Borneo, Malaysia, Papua New Guinea, and even here in Australia. So they could have gone to jail if they refused. Some of them fought in combat, but not all of them did. Many of them lost their jobs, relationships, incomes, and were left with the mental and physical scars from their service. And in many respects, they've been left behind, which is what Nash Fair Go is trying to fix. We've got two major thrusts. Number one goal is to get something for those guys, for their, their service. I think the government owes that to them. And number two is we are building a national body of men with state branches and regional branches. I'm getting some terrific feedback from some of our members saying that just being part of National Fair Go has given them a whole new lease of life. And some wives have emailed me just said their husbands are totally different blokes that some of them just thought they were never going to get anything for their service, no recognition, nothing. They feel that we're on the way to you know achieving something anyway. And um, that gives me a lot of heart when I hear that. Now, one of the main things they're after is the gold veterans card. We think just compensation for us for our two years would be the gold card to look after our medical and dental health in our old age. It'll depend on how successful we are at lobbying and how successful we get our message across. We deserve some help. The youngest will be just turning 71 and the oldest 79. We're dropping off the perch at the rate of three a day and most of us have some sort of ailment that needs help. And a lot of those ailments go back to our army days. Now, to put this in perspective, right, the gold card is the holy grail of military entitlements covering all medical costs for the rest of someone's life. 
And as it stands, the only Nashos who qualify for it are those who went to Vietnam, which works out to be about 15,300 of the original 63,000. And not all of those men are alive today, but it certainly gives you an idea of those men who can get it and those who can't. And the reason why the Vietnam guys got the gold card is because they were recognized as having a classification called warlike service, which, as the name suggests, is awarded to veterans of recognized hostile areas. Well, we take the point that they have said you have to have served in a, a war zone, and that's the criteria to be eligible for the gold card when you turn 70. And those guys deserve it especially the guys that fought the infantry blokes and everything in Vietnam. The same can't be said for the other 48,000 Nashos who were sent to units in Borneo, Malaysia, Papua New Guinea and Australia. Only 31,000 of them are believed to be still alive today. So they haven't been regarded as having warlike service, which means they can't get the gold card. Instead, they've been stuck with a stock standard benefit available to everyone in the Defence Force called the White Veterans Card which offers free mental health treatment and cover for some service-related injuries. Yeah, but that's not a benefit to us. The government, the Liberal government, saw that the Royal Commission into the veteran suicides was coming along and they said, OK, we'd better get on the front foot here. And in doing so, they said, oh, how about we create the white card and make it universal and available to everybody and they can get free mental health assistance if they need it. So it was really a political move by them. It was not in any shape or form a benefit to us. You could have been a 17-year-old kid, went into army training at Kapuka today and decided you wanted to leave tomorrow and you got the white card. Now, you know, that's not really a benefit, I don't think. Having said all of that, there are also some issues with the white card stopping Nashos from claiming treatment for service-related injuries. But I'll save that for another day because it is quite complex and needs a full episode. But outside of the white card, Jeff says they haven't received anything for their service. And you might be thinking, well, if they didn't have warlike service, then why should they get the gold card? You have to draw the line somewhere. But this is where Jeff says the system is wrong. For starters, placing so much emphasis on warlike service ignores the many other ways that conscription changed their lives, sometimes irreparably so. And I'll come back to this one soon. But the other thing you have to understand is that there are Nashos from this group of 48,000 who served in hostile areas such as Borneo and Malaysia, which have never been recognised as being warlike. So they can't get the gold card. Some of our blokes served in Malaysia. Graham Parler, one of our Queensland men, he was one of them. They were regularly harassed by guerrillas. They carried live ammunition. They were shot at. And they were never, ever classed as being in a war zone and they've never been given any benefits. Now, I'll take a deep dive into this next episode when Graham Parler comes on to tell his story. So he almost died in combat, but he can't get the gold card because the government hasn't recognised his time in Malaysia as being warlike service. However, Jeff says that what the Nashos went through can't just be looked at through the lens of combat experience. There was so much more that went on behind the scenes during conscription, which has had a bearing on their lives. It's a total unfair way of looking at that man's service. We deserve something for two years of our life. And that's the main point is that it wasn't just what we went through when we were in the service. We lost two years of our youth. And this is a crucial point because while most Nashos did not experience combat, conscription affected their lives in ways that are still being understood today. 
a lot of us found that when we got out, our lives were basically ruined. That scarred a lot of our members and a lot of them have suffered depression ever since. Our civilian lives we came back to was nothing that we'd dreamed about during those last few days of our service. I'm going home, I'm going home. And then we got home and uh, you know, girlfriend gone, friends gone, job gone. Despite what the laws were at the time, if they had their job and they got back there, they were certainly behind the other blokes who'd stayed there. And I was really interested to read this. This is what the Australian War Memorial says about what they earned while they were serving. So the army provided free meals, accommodation, uniforms, work clothes, medical, dental, hospital treatment, all of that jazz while they were in the army serving. And in terms of what they were paid, so if you were single, unmarried, with a private rank, you were paid $34.16 a week in 1966. But if you were married, that was bumped up to $45.71 a week. But either way you look at this, it was still a huge financial hit for many of these men. Yeah, a lot of guys took a huge hit. We had blokes who were qualified butchers, went from $100 a week down to, I think we're on $29 a week or something was our army pay. Uh, Blokes who were married, had to support a wife and kids on that sort of pay and had no help at all. We lived from pay to pay, really, but there was very little money came in to those people. And Jeff can speak from personal experience on this because his own story typifies what they went through after conscription. I completely lost it. I got on the grog really heavy. I was just descended into absolute alcoholic depression. Now, Jeff says that he had a pretty good time in the army. He had a safe, secure job, and he was what you called an army transport liaison officer. I was attached with the Air Force for most of my service after I finished my core training and I spent 15 months on the RAF base at Richmond and then in August, September 1972, we went up to New Guinea to establish a base for a place called Finchhaven on the northeast coast from Ley for the exercise they had up there. I think it was called Exercise Treble Check. We had to go in first get everything sorted with the RAF, how to get the men and all the equipment, everything in there. And then from there, all the infantry guys came in and we dispatched them up into the hills and they did their exercise, came back. Then we had to get them all home again and Mm. we had to get all the equipment back in. However, in Jeff's previous life, he was studying to become a scientist. It was his lifelong dream. And he was partway there as a research assistant with the CSIRO. But that all ended with conscription. The job that I had, three years with CSIRO in southern New South Wales, I thought I was secure for life. And when I was called up, I advised CSIRO and they said, yeah, okay, we have to give you your job back when you get out. But unfortunately, you have to go to Canberra. So I went there and they didn't even know I was coming, actually. I found out the jobs level they reinstated me on was lower than any of the other people that hadn't gone into the army. The job they had for me was just washing glassware and stuff, whereas Mm. I'd been actively involved in scientific research as a research assistant, and I found out that uh, there was nothing there for me. I was lucky enough to bounce back and have kids and with happy family life, but uh, a lot of these guys never recovered, and it's just so unfair. The prevalence of these long-term consequences is why Jeff believes they should have special dispensation for the gold card. But unfortunately for Nash Fairgo, the outcome of that is looking unlikely. In the last six months, Jeff has been pushing hard for answers, knocking on Canberra's doors, speaking to anyone who'll listen. 
and his hard efforts paid off somewhat when he managed to get a meeting with the Veterans Affairs Minister, Matt Keogh. Here's what he told him. Quite frankly, I've been told by the minister that we will get something, but we won't get a gold card. And we'll get it when we finish this review of the three Veteran Entitlement Acts, Merca, Durka and VEA. He's trying to put the three acts together and merge them into one, which makes sense. But like all these things, moves very slowly. So if the gold card isn't an option, how will they respond? I was really interested to know whether all of this would be for nothing. But Jeff says the gold card is not the be-all, end-all. They've worked way too hard and they've created this amazing support network for Nashos when previously there wasn't much that was there for them. So there's been a lot of positives to come away from it. But at the end of the day, if the gold card is not a possibility, Jeff says that they're willing to work with the government to find an alternative solution. We have already suggested to the minister our biggest concerns as we get older is our medical and dental health. We don't need something as extensive as the gold card, which he tells me costs up to $28,000 per man per year. But we would like to see at least some form of medical and dental health program. And I think most of us would be reasonably happy with that. But we certainly won't be content with nothing. And we certainly won't be content with getting the same thing as all other ex-servicemen because the 31,000 of us who are still alive went through an experience that nobody else in Australia has. And we were forced into service in the threat of going to jail. And that was two years of our lives that was taken from us that we never can get back. Coming up next episode, Trouble for Veteran in Brisbane. The planes were flying past and I was excited because I love aviation. And then the fireworks started and the flashes and the noise and it all came back. I just fell apart because of what happened over there. Graham Parler, he's one of the veterans who fought in Malaysia. And he'll come on to tell you his experiences and how, because of a loophole in the legislation, he can't get the gold card. And sadly, it's all too common. The legislation is horrendously complex. There are plenty of cracks where people fall through, and I understand this very much affects a lot of our national servicemen. That's coming up on the Men Australia Forgot podcast. Thanks so much for your time. I'm Aidan Taylor.